On this episode of AV Week, SCN's top 50 list is out. Hybrid work. We're still trying to figure that one out. All that and more on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is AV Week episode 589, giving you time back. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of all the news in, uh, in the audiovisual world. I am your host, Brian Heidgerken. Tim took the week off, and this week joining me is Kelly. I'm uh, Kelly Cicchetti. I am a building technology designer for HGA, um, and I'm just happy to be back on the AV Week calls. And Frank... I'll go next. Uh, Frank Patakawa, technical sales engineer at Audinate. And Mark. Nice to see you, Brian. This is Mark Coxon. I'm business development director for XTG with AVISPL and uh, love being here. Thank you guys for joining me. Real quick, I know Tim sent out uh, topics for everybody, but one that's you know near and dear to this time of year, uh, Christmas music. Should it be played before Thanksgiving? Yes or no? No, let us mourn Halloween right. for just like a week or two before we start jumping into Christmas. You need more than a day to transition from one holiday to another. Um, yes. Although I was thinking about this when I was writing this up. Uh, we do listen to like summertime music, talking about going to the beach year round. So it's kind of, I don't know, we only do Christmas music. I think somebody really needs to get into that thanksgiving music genre and just blow it up i i say it's okay to play christmas music before thanksgiving as long as you've listened to adam sandler's turkey song at least three times before you do. <laughs> <laughs> i think also with the uh christmas in july sales that you see on um qvc and other other um i guess kind of online retailers i think since they've started this christmas in july thing i think it's going to become a more common thing to hear it before christmas or after thanksgiving or before thanksgiving i feel like covid might have cut down on black friday a little bit because it doesn't seem to be oh, yeah. the big thing that it was i actually got some insight recently on that um i used to buy a lot of tvs and um many kind of gaming consoles on Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday. And someone actually told me that they work in the industry and they will drop the prices or raise the prices right before Black Friday. And then they'll make you think you're getting a deal on Black Friday when if you check any other part of the year, you'll probably get that three or 400 off. And it's not a huge, you're not getting a huge discount. And then I checked on Cyber Monday this year and the only deals I saw on TVs were the OLED TVs. And it's like, hey, we've got this 45 $500 TV, you can now have it. It's yours for 42 <laughs> Great. <laughs> Although this year has been a very successful Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Uh, according to reports, uh, they had record-breaking sales this year. Wow. So. That's not surprising. I did try and get an 85-inch TV, uh, one of the 7-series Samsungs, um, and th those were out pretty quick within, I think, hours. So that's not surprising. We have a 55-inch 7 Series, and everybody that comes over is like, that is incredible. <laughs> it's like... That's what this one is. It's a 7 Series behind me. I've got six of them in the house. Wow. <laughs> Every room has wow. a TV. <laughs> well, that's what 
do the show about that. <laughs> we could go do a what is it? Um, a walk yeah, a walk through. So, what did MTV used to or... have? <laughs> yeah, that's right, that one. <laughs> I think the most popular shopping day is still the Saturday before Christmas because that's when yeah. most husbands go out and get that stuff that they, <laughs> that they get. The most popular shopping day is is the day of your anniversary. Whatever that right, day is. Right. <laughs> uh, moving on to our second topic. Uh, it's that time of year. System Contractor News, uh, SCN, came out with their top 50 system integrators of 2022. Uh, the good news is, is it appears that everybody's reporting that revenues increased. So it seems like we're coming out of that hole that we dug uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, but my big question is, uh, does this list matter and to whom? Uh, I'm sure AVI Systems, who jumped from third to first, uh, uh, and pushing uh, that pushed AVI SPL to second and diversified to third. So I'm sure AVI Systems thinks this this list is amazing and wonderful. But um, <laughs> outside of the integrators that are on the list, does it matter? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. A lot of it is self-reported. So I, I think. It's a good sign for integrators who have repositioned themselves financially to source product inventory early. Um, so that's always a good sign. And I think that's always going to be reflective in the revenue and the self-reported revenue as well, uh, which also reduces the risk of supply chain issues going into 2022 and 2023. Um, I think the top integrators and AVI systems, I'm very familiar with them and, and diversified in AVI SPL. Um, but I think the top integrators have kind of changed their business strategy with a lot of mergers and acquisitions. I think there's also higher demand in multiple markets at this point Going now that we're kind of getting out of the pandemic, uh, which is requiring more resources, which I think is also a sign of, you know, positive outlook to come. Um, so I think expansion has largely made a large, has made a large part of this success. But with, te with technology just becoming so simple for the end users and even on the integration side, because I used to work on the integration side. So, you know, we've gone from things like switchers and big pieces of 4RU pieces of equipment to now we've got these encoders and decoders or you don't want that at all we've got this simple room that's a soft codec and all you need to do if you want to share directly is plug and play so i think with with that it's also allowing technology to expand and become more of a demand and i think with companies also turning towards an esop structure as well product productivity is increased and i think that's all going to be shown in the revenue for these integrators and a lot of the names you kind of see over i'm a designer i'm on the design consulting side so um, i see a lot of the same names and avi spl is one of them diversified is one of them um, and now avi systems so i think yes the revenue reporting matters and i think it is also a good indicator of how how the industry is doing and how the um, integrators as a whole are doing. And I like to see that, but, you know, we do have to keep in mind this all, all is self-reported. So I think it's going to be something that we see more on the back end um, in terms of success and, and if it truly matters or not. So are you telling me that my skills of terminating a 128 by 128 RGB H&V switch, which was like six foot tall, I don't need that anymore? <laughs> No, you shouldn't. I mean, they're becoming obsolete. I mean, I think they're still sticking around for for people who <laughs> want different budget options. And, and I, I'm glad you pointed out it. This is self-reported, and so that, that that I think that's a huge asterisk on these numbers. I, I don't know that there's a a lot of use in 
overinflating your numbers, but I'm sure if you're rounding, you're rounding up. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, I, does a list matter? I'm, I think it's what you make of it. You know, like if you use it as a marketing tool and you go out and you promote yourself and you have global clients that are interested in footprint and interested in those things, then it can matter. Um, does it? Does anybody other than the AV industry read SCN and go, which integrator am I going to choose based on what's on the top 50? Probably not, right? So if you're going to, if you're going to use it, you're going to get out ahead of it. Um, that's why you would report your numbers. Um, I don't think there's an incentive for people to overinflate their numbers, really, like if you're one, two, or three, whatnot. Because, again, it's, the list is really what you make of it for the most part, right? Um, on the flip side, you know, like when I worked for smaller integrators, I, I used the list the other way and said, yeah, they're, look how big they are. And they got a large rudder and it's hard for them to turn and all those things. And now that I'm with one of the top three integrators, I'm like, of course this list matters. Look, we're at the top of the list. Why wouldn't it matter? <laughs> um, so, but like I said, I think it's really, it's a marketing opportunity. It's why people report the numbers. I mean, a couple of years ago, Kinley came out of nowhere and jumped on the list, right? Because they had never reported before. It's not because all of a sudden they had a breakout year. It's because all of a right. sudden they wanted to report their numbers and they wanted to say that, hey, look, we're big because they were making a splash into the U.S. market. So that was a year they reported their numbers, got on the list, and all of a sudden people knew who they were. So these are very strategic moves. They're PR moves to get on this list. And um, my, my only thing would be is if you do report and don't use it, then what are you doing? Like... Why report your numbers and then not use it, the publicity and, and the marketing opportunities that come with being at the top of the list? Yeah, I, I do agree with that exactly because the, the point is it's what you make of it. So, for example, when I look at those lists, one of the things that I do look at is the number of employees. And I try to keep tabs on that and see, all right, did you hire 500 people this year? Did you let go of 500 people? Because that, to me, is also an indication of the health of your company. Again, it's anecdotal. It's based on self-reporting. There's a lot of conclusions that we draw from it. But in an industry as small as the AV industry in a larger technology blanket, we do have to use whatever opportunity we get to get this information. I mean, the same question applies for any list that is out there, any top 50, top 30, top three. It's, it's the same argument for any of those things, and it is what you make of it. So I, th I think there's value in it. I used to look at it all the time just to see what are the names on there because it's likely that you'll see a name that you've never heard of before. It's an opportunity to talk to someone. You know, as a manufacturer, you're always looking at who's coming up, who's growing, what are they investing in. Some There's also a little bit of marketing on there. So I'll look at their projects, like what kind of projects are you doing? Are you pivoting to doing more cloud solutions? Are you doing more of the AV over IP? It's interesting to know that from a technology standpoint. Yeah, Frank, I think that was one of the things that I always used to do too, is I would look at that list to kind of compare just what market segments people were going into. Like if I looked at an integrator and I knew they had started to do um, a lot more managed services, then I could start to dig in and go, wow, is that growth due to that new offering? And if so, why aren't we looking at doing that for our business? And so I think there is some strategy you can gain from it too. Um, and the other thing we used to look at a lot on there was when you talked about number of employees, one of the other interesting things to do is to look at the revenue per employee. Like how efficient are some of these companies at making money? Like how, and some of that can be hidden because some of the companies will use subcontractors to perform work and they don't have to count those as employees, et cetera. But it is, it is interesting to look and say, okay, who's actually producing the most money with the least amount of overhead? Well, I know when I, I started with a really small mom and pop place, so I always went through it to see who was, how close we were to them, you know, who I might send out a resume to. Um, and then, and then when, I was, when I was in sales, uh, I would use that, 
the opposite way of, oh yeah, they're big. They're out chasing those really big things. I'm, you know, medium sized. I'm here to concentrate on you. So, so, you know, there, there's good places to be on the list regardless of where you are. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, there's, there's like, the list is, is again, self-reported as Kelly said, there's probably integrators, there's probably in-house integrators on there that are part of another organization that are several times bigger than a lot of these names. And, you know, we know them from doing business with them. It's, it's interesting that these are the companies that chose to report themselves. It's, it's a, I do like it. That's what I was actually going to say is that as a design consultant, you, you, in the bid leveling phase, um, if it gets to that point, you need to know all of the different integrators that you're looking at. And it's nice to know, okay, these have, these integrators have self-reported, but these are the names I'm consistently seeing. And these are the ones I work with. Do I, are any of the ones I work with on this list that I see all the time, or is it more relationship-based or is it because this client uh, really likes this integrator because this is who they've gone with for years. So I like to kind of compare that. I think we can at least say with everyone who was self-reported, there has been expansion and, and revenue increases across the board. So at least we know that it's consistent with the industry as it's happening. So I like to just kind of look at the names as well. And, and I go through it. I look at it. But I also read a lot. So <laughs> Do you think there's a miss for the people that are choosing not to report? There are a number, like you just mentioned, there are a number of people that choose not to, and I'm sure they have their reasons, and some of them may be in the higher tier on this list, but for one reason or another, they choose not to. Is that a negative for them, do you think? If they're big enough, people will know who they are, and they will be recommended, and they will be referred. Um, I think exactly what Mark said, this is a marketing opportunity. Whether you utilize it or you don't, it's up to you. But some companies are big enough that they don't have to, and they are well known for you know everything that they that they do and and their sales and their and just their end product is is good enough that they don't need to market themselves. And I think that's honestly why they don't. I think this is just a boost. Exactly. I mean, the companies that are on it, I've seen them marketing it. Like as you walk into the doors, I still remember the first time I walked into Diversified several years ago. I used to work there. It's one of the first things I saw. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know a lot about the AV industry. And I saw SEN Top 50. And I thought, oh, all right. So this company's on some kind of a list. It's equivalent so to it's, being the one of the top 40 under 40. Which I think Frank was also on the top 40. <laughs> I listen to Top 40. I've never been on a list, but, you know. <laughs> Frank could be like, you know what? I'm well known. I don't need to be on the top 40 under 40. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Every recognition is a recognition. No, it is. It's nice to have it, honestly. Um, so I get why the companies who do it do it. Um, you know, I think it's just, it comes down to their marketing. There's reasons for everybody to be on it and not to be on it. If nothing else, it's very interesting to see how things moved. I mean, I know when, uh, when I heard that AVI Systems, who I worked with formerly, uh, had jumped from three, third to first, I was like, wow, what did they just do, you know? And so I obviously went in and looked at the numbers and read the information and reached out to some uh, people that I still know that work there. And so it, it does get attention. All right, so the next one, and uh, you know, this is a topic I think that comes up pretty regularly. Uh, it could probably be a show in and of itself, uh, and that is hybrid work, right? Uh, it's still, 
the conversation around the water cooler. Everybody's trying to figure it out. There's a lot of, uh, you know, oh, I guess people saying this is what hybrids work's going to be, but yet we're still kind of in the middle of figuring that out. So, so there's a lot of experts out there or just people trying to figure it out. Um, the article uh, we read this week was from mytechdecision.com. Uh, they had some great information from a survey that Logitech did on how different companies handled it to where some companies sent people home and were like, yeah, 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 we're remote working and here's a laptop. Uh, I knew people that didn't have laptops. You know, their company was desktop based and it's like, okay, we need you to work from home. And everybody had to box up their desktop and monitors and carry them home, which made it that much harder to get them to come back. So outside of this being the death knoll for companies issuing people desktops, uh, where are we at with hybrid work? I find this interesting because I didn't realize how ill-equipped I was in terms of working from home until I actually started working from home and then working remote full-time. I had this little, um, I think it was a little, really old Lenovo flip lap. It was so slow and it was all trial and error in the beginning. And then once I started identifying the weak points and the remote work arrangement, and once I became full-time remote, I started trying external cameras, better laptops, larger monitors, and then external microphones, which I do have one. I just don't use it. Um, and then I started finding affordable brands like Blue Microphones and Amcrest. And I realized quickly that I needed a USB hub. And all I had was this like laptop that I used for site visits. And so, um, you know, at HDA where I'm at now, they were like, hey, we're gonna send you a laptop and we're gonna send you a wireless keyboard and mouse, but we understand, and they were, they were recognizing that they understand that we need probably more than just a laptop and keyboard and mouse. So they said, get what you need and then, um, you know, reimburse it. And I think more companies are becoming aware of that, especially with full-time remote workers like I am, because I'm working out of a remote office. Um, and, you know, they were pretty well-versed. I was actually very surprised for an architectural engineering firm to be that well-versed on the fact that people prefer different setups. So they just told us, get what you want. And I also got very lucky with a pretty decent built-in camera on the laptop because I have a few Amcrest and Logitech cameras. Um, and then I also want to give teams some recognition because they've provided some help on the audio side, allowing people to adjust background noise sensitivity directly within the software, which has saved me multiple times having to apologize for the dogs barking. And, you know, I think these necessities for any full-time remote employees should be a laptop monitor, at least one monitor, wireless keyboard, mouse, and noise canceling headphones. Whether you need a hub or a second monitor is great, but I think more companies are becoming aware of that. And I just want to give them that recognition because I, I just was very shocked by companies saying, we know you need this. We know this is a setup and we know more, you know, as more and more remote employees become full-time, uh, we, we need to provide this. And I really like seeing that transition. Yeah. I think that was one of the main takeaways of the Logitech piece, right? Was that, um, you know, was the surveys about what employees liked and didn't like about the remote home setups and camera angles, microphone quality, background noise, all of those things that come into play when um, you have a reaction to an event, which is, hey, take this laptop and go do your work there and hopefully we can make this through, which is what happened to us, right? And so I say right now we're in the posi this position of leveling up and I've said this a lot before. We have We have two paradigms that we've lived through. You know, most companies have lived through the 
the office first paradigm and then the home first paradigm. And now we're trying to find what the balance is between those two. And there are a lot of opportunities to level up. And if companies aren't doing this gap analysis and going, hey, what did we like about the in-person experience that we're not getting with remote? And what do we love about remote that we want to keep? Um, and not just revert to the old way because it's the old way. If they're not doing that back and forth, they're not doing their company a, a really great service. But I think the, the um, yeah, the article did a good job of that. And I, I like what Kelly said about companies, you know, um, giving people choices, number one, like having a menu of things that maybe you need. I think different workers need different things. Um, and I think that puts the companies in control too, because we know if we do pick a platform, there are devices that are certified where, you know, the mute button that's on your cord actually coordinates with the mute button that's on your codec so that those things aren't out of sync, et cetera, right? So it gives companies control so that when they're sending stuff home with people, if they, if, instead of just giving an allowance, we say, hey, we'll give you a camera, a microphone that can work with your laptop that will give you a dock so everything can connect. We'll give you a secondary monitor that you can keep up for your other stuff. Um, then they have more control over the consistency of that experience and supporting it from an IT perspective too, right? Which we have to think about, um, especially now with people being able to dig into the APIs of, of Zoom and Teams and all these soft codec platforms. They can remotely log in and see what's going on with their remote setup and help them diagnose something if something's not working right. So um, I think there's a lot of advantage to doing that and it's time for companies to level that remote experience up. Nothing's worse than being finding out that you're like double secret muted and you know, you're muted on the app and then you have to go to your headset and yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with what, you know, Kelly and Mark said. It's important for uh, companies to understand that the needs of the employees are different and every individual needs the kind of representation that they need. Meeting equity is a term that gets thrown around a lot. And a lot of it uh, was gained, a lot of equity was gained when people who have uh, a series of challenges were able to now work seamlessly remotely. But there was also losses on the in-person experience. And there's, there's a lot of arguments for and against it, but there's no real one, there's no solution to it. An organization or an individual department, I always say that your team needs to decide what's best for that. And to that point, even going past the regular camera, lighting is also a concern. I mean, if you are a person of color, uh, the way you present on camera is different. And so there needs to be some consistency with that. And organizations can be open and upfront about these conversations and say, hey, this is what we found works best, but I think you should decide what you want to do and help the employees have the best possible experience. Because irrespective of where you're working, if you're not happy at the place you're working, you're not going to survive there long. You know, it's the simplest. Well, and even before COVID, um, I, I was in the office every day, but I worked with people from around the country, right? So I was essentially remote working from the office. So uh, you know, that transition was a little bit easier. But to Kelly's point earlier, uh, when I came home and started doing it full time, my last time working from home was like 2010. And it was terrible. Um, but then I got home. And at the same time, my kids were both home work, you know, going to school from home. And so it was eye opening because I've in my other job have designed countless classrooms and conference rooms for video conferencing and but not experiencing it every day like the students were it really opened my eyes to some of the limitations but also some of the, the things that you could take advantage of one thing i will say i also really like about the development of this work from home arrangement is the ease of use in terms of vpns and vdis 
I mean, I remember back in 2010, if I needed to remote log in, it was it was equivalent to dial up and making sure no one picks up the phone while you're trying to connect. I mean, it was, I, I really think that um, at least I'm seeing this, this transition into these more simple solutions in terms of logging in and being able to work on a remote desktop and being able to collaborate better, which is something that both Mark and Frank mentioned is it, it's just, it's the collaboration of it is evolving and it's getting easier. And now we can access things from our phone if we want to. Um, you can do your timesheets or check, you know, your emails or talk on Teams if you're not by your computer. And I brought my computer with me recently uh, to while I was on vacation, I was advised not to, and I still did. And I was able to still work on during the times I wasn't, you know, I think the hotel Wi-Fi wasn't staying connected. So I was stay, still able to do certain things from my phone. And 10 years ago, we would have never been able to do that. It was just such a hassle trying to log in remotely. Well, and I think I, I for me, I think the, the, Getting people to turn their cameras on, you know, remember to mm -hmm. unmute their microphones. Those are things that I think we're we're well down the path to figuring out. And and there's something that Kelly uh, touched on that I wanted to kind of bring up too is is, you know, a lot of times when we talk about hybrid, we're talking about cameras, microphones, you know, and, and that stuff is amazing. But there's also that other part of you know sharing data. Uh, making sure that everybody's, you know, you, you can't walk over to someone's desk and drop a file down or, mm -mm. or draw on a piece of paper and say, so this is what I'm thinking. So figuring out how to incorporate those so that yes, we're all still working from home or, or some at the office, but we're still able to share the, the idea and, and whiteboard or, you know, draw mm -hmm. ideas out. I was going to say one thing that um, I've said a few times lately on hybrid work in that, um, you know, in hybrid work, we're still in this paradigm of meetings and our meetings were not great <laughs> before COVID. Like we had a lot of meetings that everybody hated going to before. And now we're just doing those same meetings um, online. And I think if anything that companies should be doing right now is not just evaluating like in-person versus hybrid, but do we need to have these meetings? Do we need to have these types of meetings? Right. What's a better and more efficient way to have this meeting in the first place? And then we worry about if it's hybrid, in-person, et cetera. Um, but I think, you know, meeting, meetings have sucked for a long time and <laughs> and you know instead of just instead of just making a digital version of something everyone already hates um i think we need to be just be more mindful of using this as a place to not just reevaluate technology but reevaluate meetings in general i do appreciate those people who have the start time that's offset by yes. five minutes i <laughs> really appreciate them i have personally thanked them i will call them up and say thank you for doing that that's the offsets are great. And I think the other thing is, you know, we've even seen companies, um, we know we know a very large company whose corporate policy is no one can schedule a meeting over half an hour. Wow. So wow. that means if there's information to share, you share it before. And people are expected to show up to actually discuss information and not to be read a story and then asked what they thought about it mm -hmm. afterwards, right? And I think that's too <laughs> much what we do in meetings. It's story time. Like, I don't trust you to review the, the information that you need, that you could read on your own. So you're going to come and you're going to listen to me give a PowerPoint for 45 minutes, and then we're going to have the 15-minute discussion on it that we really needed to have. That should be put ahead. And just tell employees, like, hey, your meetings are now under a half an hour because you're going to do these things when they're convenient for you in the comfort of your home at the time that you can. Just make sure they're done before the meeting so that when you come, you can contribute. And if over time you don't contribute, we'll know you're not paying attention. And then we may have to have some some talk about the way 
that you fit into the company. But I think that's a much better way to do it than to have story time and then and then a discussion afterwards every single time. I love that concept. And then if we could get back, get rid of the phrase, I'm going to give you back some of your time. Yeah. <laughs> when, yes. when a meeting does wrap up early. Uh, I'm guilty of that, but I've, you know, uh, yeah. I think this, this hybrid conversation is not over. I, I like pushing it past the actual camera microphone conversation. And, and to Mark's point, you know, let's rethink meetings, right? Let's get rid of that sign that says I just survived another e meeting that could have been an email. <laughs> so thank you. Kelly, Frank, and Mark for joining us this week. Frank, if someone wants to connect with you, how's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can reach out to me on all the socials. It's uh, Frank Patakala. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and all that good stuff. Uh, if you're in Atlanta uh, in two weeks from now, uh, I'm going to be part of our company's Dante Connect event. So if you want to see me in person, I'll be December 15th in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so uh, that's me. Thanks, Frank. Kelly, where do they reach out for you? Uh, I'm actually on LinkedIn as well under Kelly Chiquetti hyphen teal, uh, T-E-E-L, like the color with two E's. And I'm also on Twitter at K-Teal, T-E-E-L again, 22. And Mark? LinkedIn, obviously. Mark Coxon on LinkedIn. Um, super easy. Twitter is at AV Phenom. Um, I always say people that give them themselves their own nicknames are annoying and somehow I ended up being one of those annoying people but uh, at AV Phenom on Twitter and if you want to uh, check out guitar and kickboxing uh, at kicky no punchy don't ask uh, on Instagram well I know I will be reaching out to all three of you on LinkedIn thank you again for joining us uh, for more conversations about technology and AV in general head on over to avnation.tv for this show and much more Thank you and have a great week.